Hey, this is Ed Stetzer Live, and we're happy to have you here for another Saturday. For those of you listen asynchronously, listening whenever you might listen to your favorite radio program. Well, I don't know if it's your favorite radio program. It's a favorite radio program at this time because you're listening. But some of you listen by the podcast as well. As always, if you go to edstetzerlive.com, you can download, connect to the podcast, download wherever, however you want to download your podcast. Uh, so we're actually going to have an episode today that is that is actually pre-recorded. And so I'm not available to do the program live. So I've had the privilege of bringing a guest, a friend, who's actually was in town. And we're actually uh, recording this for your encouragement and exhortation outside of our normal recording schedule. And so I want to introduce you to my guest, and then we'll jump into our conversation uh, together. So part of the point being is that we're actually not taking your calls today. We always love your calls, and we'll get back to your calls in the future, but we're not taking your calls today. So let me tell you about my guest. Uh, John Dixon's my guest. Kind of an eclectic dude. Started out as a professional singer-songwriter, now works as an author, speaker, historian, and media presenter. He's the founding director for the Center for Public Christianity, published over 20 books, two of which became documentaries, television documentaries, the third, For the Love of God, How the Church is Better and Worse Than He Ever Imagined, released in Australian cinemas, actually, in June 2018. Teaches a course in historical Jesus at the University of Sydney, Australia. That's a secular university, for those of you who don't know. Uh, he's honorary research associate at the University of Sydney. He's actually been visiting academic in the faculty uh, of the classics at Oxford University. And in 2019, he was appointed Distinguished Fellow in Public Christianity at Ridley College in Melbourne, Australia. So you're going to actually see pretty soon that he has an Australian accent. So thanks for being a – we're actually live in the studio here at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center where I serve. Um, thanks for coming down to the studio and recording with us. Absolute pleasure. It's been great spending some time good. with you. Yeah, we got to hang out, and that was good. And and, I, and I'm, a, I'm a fan of your writing, but also, too, you have a widely listened to podcast. Now, I want to talk specifically in just a minute about your new book, Bullies and Saints, an honest look at the good and evil of Christian history. But but come back and tell us a little bit about Undeceptions, which is just huge podcast. We were just over with some friends here in the States, and they're like the whole staff at the church is talking about your podcast. So what is it, and why is it called Undeceptions? Well, the word uh, is a good old-fashioned English word from the 16th century. It just means to reveal the truth. So if I try to undeceive you, it just means I uh, tell you the truth. Uh, it's also the uh, title of an out-of-print collection of C.S. Lewis nice, essays. Nice, nice. C.S. Lewis for the win. So I have his book, Undeceptions, but uh, it's pretty hard to get because it's out of print. Really? So anyway, so I've loved the word for years. And uh, when I was convinced to do a podcast, I thought, ha-ha, uh, I'm trying to do what C.S. Lewis was trying to do, but I'm doing it, you know, poorly. Uh, and that is reveal the truth amidst a whole bunch of myths and uh, suspicions about the Christian faith. I'm trying to say, hey, there's something true and beautiful here. You just got to think a little bit and, you know, listen to different stories, listen to different arguments, and you'll be undeceived. Nice. We just came from, before recording this, we came from Chapel Street Church. Our friend Jeff Frazier serves there as pastor. And really, you you, you shared some from your book, Bullies and Saints, and, which is an interesting title. And, and it was an interesting presentation to me because you actually started by saying that we should admit and acknowledge that really bad, horrible things have been done by Christians throughout eternity. So if you wouldn't mind, let's just start there. If you wouldn't, you, people didn't hear the presentation, so unpack a little bit of what you shared, and let's talk about why start at that place. A lot of our friends who don't believe um, might not have many intellectual arguments about the faith, against the faith, but they do fear that the institution of the church or maybe 
you know, the local pastor or Christian organization or even Christian, um, is a tool of power. Um, they're worried about the bad history of Christianity. And so the moral questions, is Christianity moral, is coming to the fore, at least in a very secular country like Australia. But the more I travel in the US, the, you know, the more real it is here. So that's, that's sort of the starting point. Um, why have so many people got this impression? that yeah. Christianity is bad for you. And four in 10 Americans reckon uh, that religion has done more harm than good, according to an Ipsos poll. Mm -hmm. um, six in 10 Australians think that. Yeah. So against that backdrop, why do people think that? Well, there's, a, there's tons of bad stuff Christians have done. Yeah. I, I mean, we could start you know, today and work back yesterday, sure. or the day before. But um, I, I start in the Crusades because it's kind of like, it's the cliche that people always... Yeah, but you're also an historian, so that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the middle of the Christian story. Yeah. So what I try and do in the, in the book and partly in that talk you just heard is talk about the Crusades and say, how on earth did we get there? You know, in the middle of the Christian story, somehow a story that started with Jesus dying on a cross for our sins, you know, the, the ultimate gift of love. Somehow the people who worshiped Christ, the crucified ended up thinking it was a very good idea to go and kill women and children mm -hmm. uh, in a foreign country. And so admitting, admitting that that's part of the Christian story, you can't just say, oh, they weren't Christians. You can't just say, oh, that was, you know, that was the Catholics. Because <laughs> as soon as you say that, I got some Protestant stories for us. Mm, yeah, well. there's plenty. Martin Luther was not exactly a bastion <laughs> oh, of uh, free thought in no. his day. Yeah. So I think we have to own it all and say that that's us. But, but theologically, we shouldn't be shy to do this because... I mean, Christians um, are the ones who don't believe we're good through and through mm -hmm. and only getting better. That's our secular friends. Christians believe we're, we're rotten, yeah. pretty much to the core, yeah. and yet loved. Mm. So it should be our first instinct as Christians to say, look, you know, I, I've done bad things. I confess it to the Lord every day. And my church has as well in every single century going back. Mm -hmm. No hiding, uh, being really open about it. And, and we should be like that for reality's sake. Right. But we should also be like that because people want to know you're not one of those Christians that just wants to defend everything mm. and whitewash history. As soon as they detect that, our friends are going to think, yeah, uh, you know, that's more of the same. But they'll be surprised if, if you can say, yeah, look, um, people in the name of Christ did terrible things and the Crusades <laughs> aren't. I don't even think the Crusades are the worst of it. Um and when people hear you admit that, they might be open to hearing you say something about the positives that, that Christianity has brought into right. the world. You know, some people want to debate with you about the Crusades, which I always think is fascinating because, you know, there's, there is, you know, Roddy Stark's book, there's other things. Or, well, maybe the Crusades weren't as bad, but there was some times when it was really, really bad, even though maybe not all of them were as bad as people said. There's some, and you, the example you gave today, unpack that a little bit more because that was pretty telling. Well, in July 15, 1099, the... Um, thousand years ago. Crusaders had arrived in Jerusalem, mm -hmm. spent two years getting there. Uh, they circled Jerusalem. The, um, Peter the Hermit, a famous preacher of the time, uh, stood on, the, on the, uh, the, the Mount of Olives, preached up a storm, take up your cross and follow me, Jesus said, and that's what we're doing now. And then on July 15th, they walked down the hill. They bashed open the gates, many gates, ran through those city streets and slaughtered everyone that mm. they could find. Mm. They eventually found thousands up on the Al-Aqsa Mosque Mount, the Haram al Call it Temple Mount today. Temple Mount call it. Yeah. Uh, by Jews and Christians, right. the Haram al-Sharif, yeah. uh, by our Muslim friends. 
And many men, women, and children were huddled up there. And there was just no mercy. Now, the principles of just war, which had been stated way back in Augustine's time, right? right? So early fifth century had said, you never kill non-combatants. It's always meant to be proportional. Your response to violence is is proportional. Uh, You should always be allowed to take, um, always, always be willing to take prisoners of war. And interestingly, Augustine even said, if you have to conduct war, you should conduct it in such a way that even when your enemy is defeated, they don't resent you. Hmm. Wow. Okay. So they forgot all those principles of yeah. just war Yeah. and they slaughtered pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. And we have the primary documents. This right. is the thing. I, I have read the documents of the crusaders back home and they thought they were doing it for the honor of Jesus. Right. They thought they were pushing back unbelief mm. and they thought it was a proof that Christianity was better than Islam. Mm. And they, uh, on July 16th, they held a church service in the church of the Holy Sepulchre to praise Jesus for this victory. Mm. Now, I, I mean, there's a truth in what Rodney Stark says, and that is that the, the crusades, the first crusade anyway, was a response to centuries of aggression. Sure. Totally. From, yeah. from the growing uh, Muslim influence and pushing up in through Europe and more. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And they were really wanting to help their... Um, Eastern Christian brothers and sisters, because mm-hmm. that was about to fall, right? Um, we can accept all of that. There's no getting around the atrocities committed. No question. And crusaders um, led by Peter the Hermit on the way from France to Jerusalem um, deliberately went through Jewish villages along the Rhine and massacred them. Yeah, Rhine River, right. And this was practice, yeah. sword practice. And of course, we all know the Jews were the Christ killers, right? right? This is the language that they were using. So there is no way of um, saying that the Crusades are, you know, a just war in the conduct of the war. Sure. Okay. So, so then, so the obvious question then becomes, all right, so for me, I'm sharing the gospel with somebody um, and they bring these things up. I mean, I could say, well, you know, that wasn't like the Inquisition wasn't as bad as most people think it was. It was bad, but the Inquisition wasn't actually as bad as most people think it was. They were thought to be the yeah. most just courts of the day. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that was, I mean, it's not exactly a bastion of justice back then. So I could uh, whitewash mm-hmm. some of this history, but you instead said, and you actually showed a clip in this uh, talk you did, uh, you showed a clip when you were on uh, Australian television with a bunch of folks who were very secular and you're there by yourself. And it was actually you acknowledging all these things that led to a turn in the conversation. So talk to us about that. It was, it was so funny and, and eye-opening. It sort of, uh, I was able to put my finger on something I had long had a hunch about, but, but this really brought it to the fore because the first four minutes of uh, this appearance was all about the history of Christianity. They were just saying, and what about the treatment of women? And what about the Inquisitions? And what about, and I, I said, yeah, uh, it's terrible. Um, you know, Jesus wrote a beautiful tune, but Christians have sometimes gone right out of tune or they've sung a completely different tune. And sometimes I said, it's even worse than you imagine, (laughs) you know, and at about about the four minute mark, um, one of them said, but are there any good stories? (laughs) Like the secular person, the the unbelieving person. The four four people on the panel, the four hosts of the show, uh, one of them says, yeah. Are there any good stories? And I said, well, yeah, of course, of course there are good stories. Yeah. And then another one chimes in who's known to be really quite skeptical, starts saying, oh yeah, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I know that, that churches started the first public schools and the first hospitals and they were helping, you know, and all this. And I was like, wow, I just sat back 
and let them bring up all these good things about mm. Christianity. And the next four minutes, and this is breakfast TV. This is national breakfast TV. Right, right. The next four minutes is them wanting to say all the positive things about Christianity. Yeah. And I think it was simply because they, they worked out at the four minute mark. I, I wasn't trying to whitewash. Mm. I was really open to it. And, and another version of Christianity lit up in their head. They were reminded of this other kind of Christianity that isn't the bully, that is serving. And that they wanted to talk about. Fascinating. And we're going to continue our conversation with John Dixon. And we're talking specifically about his book, Bullies and Saints, an honest look at the good and evil of Christian history. Uh, again, this is Ed Stetzer. I serve here at the Week College Bully Graham Center. And I'm happy to be your host this and every Saturday. We're going to continue our conversation with John Dixon in just a moment. Thanks for listening. Politics brings more division than ever, and social media is moving many to be less social and more critical. Those with Christian views are also often being dismissed. Well, what if the rise of secularism, though, is good news for the church? Throughout history, these times of decline traditionally precede powerful spiritual renewal, even revival. You need to read Mark Sayer's book, Reappearing Church, The Hopeful Renewal in the Rise of Our Post-Christian Culture. Get a copy of Reappearing Church today at moodypublishers.com. Hey, we're back at Stetzer Live. We're not live today, so we're not taking your calls, but we've pre-recorded episode having a fascinating conversation with a guest I happen to have here on campus at Wheaton College, where I serve, and we're talking about bullies and saints, an honest look at the good and evil of Christian history, published uh, last year. I want to encourage you to get a copy. Uh, I think it's fascinating. Uh, I just heard John do a presentation on it uh, to a local church, and of course, I've heard him talk about it in other contexts and other places. So, and I have a similar experience. I was on CNN, uh, national, our national news, one of our national news networks here, and we just put out some research that said a lot of people think Christians are hypocrites, and and so for me, I just leaned into it. They want to talk about that. I'm like, yep, that's it. And too often we are, and too often this, and and I pointed right back to, but you know, that's not ultimately what Jesus is all about. That's not what we want to aspire to. We want to be, we want to be shaped, and and it went on for like. The five, I think it was actually six minutes, which is an eternity on a news program. Yeah. Uh, I found out later that the anchor was a Christian, and so uh, which I didn't know at the time. But he clearly, if you watch, you can see it online. Uh, the, he asked the questions that enabled me to share some of those things. But I think part of it was an openness and acknowledgement that we can't sweep this under the rug. But ultimately, there's a different and a better way. So, so that's I watched your clip on the Australian TV show. Um, but you, you, you ultimately said there was a better story. There's a better news. Talk to us about how you get from there to there. Cause a lot of people, there are parents listening whose kids have, you know, deconstructed watching TikTok and all, know all the bad things about Christianity. So what, how should they respond and how do you get forward in that conversation? The simple observation is that those bad things Christians are known for, you know, uh, warfare, <laughs> torture, bigotry, and so on, um, are not unique to Christianity. Like no one could say Christians invented warfare. Right. The Greeks and Romans were doing fine on the warfare front mm-hmm. before Christians came along. So uh, this is this is Christians falling back into what is common to our humanity. Mm. So the, the more interesting question isn't have Christians participated in all that's bad in humanity? Yes, of course they have. The more interesting question is what is the unique contribution of Christianity? What is its signature move? And when you ask that question, there is no doubt it is the ethic of humility, compassion, uh, 
charitable work for the poor. These things were not known mm. in ancient Greece and Rome. Mm. And this notion of caring for the vulnerable, of um, seeing the, the least kind of person as equal to the highest was unknown in antiquity. <clears throat> and the Christians really embodied this. So we know from the, as early as the second century, so straight out of the New Testament period, uh, Christians were contributing to a slave freeing fund, mm. a manumission front fund. Well, we, you know, we think of the abolitionists as, you know, 18th century, 19th century, but no, they were, they were doing it from the beginning and it became a really big deal. People could get free, uh, from church funds. Mm -hmm. Churches in the fourth century were starting hospitals, um, for, for the general public, especially for, for poor, for the poor. Um, so that by about the sixth century, um, bishops, you know, sort of church leaders who had to look after a region actually in church law had to establish a hospital as part of their, I mean, they were mainly a kind of theologian preacher, but they all had to establish a hospital. That's why there were thousands of hospitals mm. in the medieval period entirely because of Christians. And so when you lay out things like that, and we could talk about schooling as well, or the church farms, which are, which were entirely to grow food for the poor. Yeah. And everyone that like, this is not like, you're not some rogue Christian historian who thinks these things. Everybody agrees that Christians started the hospital. Yeah. So this is not, not, this is not contested facts. No, we've got, we've got dates and yeah. documents yeah. and everything. Yeah. Um, and so I, I lay this out to my, you know, my, my skeptical friend and I say, well, you know, which is truer to the founder? And even my most skeptical friend can say, yeah, the, the hospitals and the charity mm -hmm. and the humility, that's, you know, obviously that's what Jesus, uh, taught. And, and so I just try and make the point that, um, you, you've got to be looking at what is the signature contribution of Christianity, right. not where Christians have simply been normal. Mm -hmm. Sadly, they've been too normal yeah. and, and participated in war. In all the torture, bad ways. Yeah. In all the bad ways. Yeah. But because we know Greece and Rome did not give hospitals to people, yeah. did not establish charities and so on. Um, we can say confidently, historically, empirically, these were Christianity's signature moves. Mm. And it comes back to, and I love coming back to Jesus, uh, because even though your question was, you know, where does this relate? How does this flow from the founder's vision? And certainly not the worst, but the best of Christianity does. Um, and you mentioned a little bit, I want to go down that path a little bit, because I, a lot of people aren't aware that ideas of mercy. These were not like things that people would say, well, you're merciful. And that's a positive compliment in the first century. And you unpack some of this in your book, Humilitas, which I, I, I do wonder if in hindsight, writing a book on humility does not mark you your entire life. Yeah. Um, but you yeah. wrote a book. Because I called... wouldn't have brought that book up. In exactly. Exactly. You know, exactly. You say, hey, I wrote a book on humility, kind of work that in um, to there. But it's called Humilitas, a lost key to life, love, and leadership. But it does point to the Christian faith and message here and how it prevented, uh, provided a different way. Tell us a little bit about that. And, and feel free, to, I want to hear about the book. <laughs> well, my friends have never let me forget yes. that I wrote the book on humility. Yes, literally. They think it's hilarious. Um, one of my friends said, well, at least you have the objective distance from that subject. <laughs> um, but it, I, after my doctoral work in an ancient history department at a secular university, I was involved in a postdoctoral research um, project um, funded by the government um, to... It, inquire into the origins of humility in the Western ethical tradition. Oh, how interesting. And, um, the, the key researcher, um, Brian Rosner and I, um, 
found overwhelmingly uh, and without controversy in, in scholarship that the virtue of humility understood as being willing to lower my status and redirect my power for the good of the other, for the lowly, um, really isn't a thing in Greek and Roman ethics. Right. In fact, the word humilitas in Latin and tapenos in Greek, these are the same word, they mean humility. In Latin and Greek, it means lowly in the sense of being pushed down. Mm. So Not voluntarily. So slaves yeah. are humble. Yeah, right. It just means it in the objective crushed sense. Wow. Right. And you, you see a, an extraordinary flip of that in the apostle Paul, um, in his letter to the Philippians, where he says that each of you should be humble minded, tapenos, uh, not looking to your own interests, but the interests of others, mm -hmm. having the same mind as, as Christ, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God. I mean, people know the passage and then it says, but he humbled himself mm. to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so here are, are the words, the word tapenos in Greek being used suddenly in a subversive, upended, positive way. The highest Lord humbled himself. Right. It, no one crushed him. Mm. He placed himself there or the other. Suddenly this word becomes a positive word. And in all the Christian literature after the apostle Paul, so, I mean, I've done a little study of this. You can track it even by the end of the first century in a document called One Clement one of the earliest non-New Testament Christian texts, humility appears like 50 times. Wow. And there is no other text of antiquity that, that does that. Mm. Um, as I said, where you find the word humility, it means lowly and crushed. And uh, within about five centuries, everyone thought humility was a virtue. Mm. Um, even the emperors <laughs> thought. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Mm. Thought you meant, to, you meant to be humble, that a truly great person ought to be also a servant. Right. And that was regarded as demeaning in antiquity to lower myself before someone who's greater makes sense. That would, um, that would be called modesty. Okay. So lower myself before the emperor. Fine. Lower myself before the gods. Fine. Lower myself before an equal. Shameful. Mm. Lower myself before a lesser, mm -hmm. a so-called lesser, just unthinkable. Mm. And yet this is precisely what Christianity calls on us to do. Wow. To low, no matter who we are, to lower ourselves for the sake of another. It completely changed our culture. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm by, by no means the only one who's saying this. There's a very famous secular historian, probably the biggest selling historian in the world today, Tom Holland, British historian, not a Christian. He'll say exactly the same thing mm -hmm. in, his, in his new book. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. And, and, and it's all tied to the cross because the cross of Jesus poses a dilemma to the first Christians. Do we have to give up the idea that Jesus was the greatest person ever? Because the cross would say so. Sure. Or do we have to redefine greatness as in some way to include humble service? Hmm. And they obviously chose the latter. And it's changed. And, and now everyone, our secular friends, you don't need to be Christian to believe this. Our secular friends mostly think when, a, when, a, when you meet a great person who is humble, wow, that's special. Fascinating. If someone would lower themselves. Yeah. Lower their dignity and status for mm -hmm. the good of another. Wow. An ancient Roman would think that's so mm. disgusting. Mm -hmm. Now, everyone thinks it's beautiful. So it's a, if that's the case, I mean, clearly they understood that in the first century. But again, as you pointed out there, we have these seasons where the people of God, uh, Christians seem to be blinded by the cultural moment mm. and become the bullies rather than the saints. And I, I think we, we've seen that in modern American history where people get caught up. Um, I was talking to 
to uh, Beth Moore, and she'd written a book on Galatians, and we talked some about how it's like some people just got bewitched, and they just kind of see things through a whole different lens. It doesn't reflect the the lens of the gospel, the lens of the cross, and and more. So, so I guess my question would be: Is what draws us to? We got we got about a minute in this segment. What draws us to? The worst parts rather than the best parts, and why are Christians so often fail? Why do we? Why are we the bullies too often? I think we're most vulnerable when we're no longer looking at the Jesus of the Gospels. So when our devotional life is not reading the Gospels and thinking about the Jesus of the Gospels, when Jesus becomes for us just a concept, just Savior and Lord, uh, He saves me from judgment, and He's the Lord, without any embodiment of that in his conversation with the Samaritan woman, with his tenderness to the sinners and so on, um, we lose our way. So that's, that's one part of it. I think the other part, um, which perhaps is a much larger conversation, is when Christians are so desperate to fit into their local culture right. in order to win it, mm-hmm. they actually become like the culture mm-hmm. and they pick up all the elements of the culture and forget the elements of the gospel itself. Mm. Which is, I mean, there is a sense that, you know, we become all things to all men, that by all means possible, we might save some. It's the genius of Christianity. It is. It's, it's, I mean, again, my field is mission. So this is this is the Christian mission. The challenge then becomes is what do we lose? we got to, Jude 3, contend earnestly for the faith once delivered and, and, and more. So we're going to continue our conversation with John Dixon in just a moment. Again, just reminding you that this is a pre-recorded episode, so we're not taking your phone calls as we normally have the privilege of doing. We're talking to John Dixon and continue that conversation with him about his new book, Bullies and Saints, an honest look at the good and evil of Christian history. Hey, this is Ed Central Library continuing our conversation with John Dixon about his book, Bullies and Saints, an honest look at the good and evil of Christian history. John, we just left the conversation a minute ago talking about Christian mission. And this is me. This is what I love to write on. I, I did my PhD in this. You're in history. I'm in mission. So, man, I, I don't want mission to be the bad guy in this story. I want mission to be the good guy in this story. Uh, the idea that Jesus said, um, you know, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. We engage people in culture. We try to become all things to all people. But then in, in missions, we talk about how we can become syncretized. We can not just contextualize, but become syncretized. We get caught up in the ways of the world in ways that dishonor the Lord, and we lose the essence of the faith itself. And that's a key part of Bullies and Saints is what I would call as a missiologist, over-inappropriate contextualization and syncretism. Explain, unpack that a little more for us. Well, so often um, in human life, our best quality is also our worst quality. Yeah. And um, I think this is true of Christian mission. The Christian faith is remarkable in it. It doesn't really have a culture. Um, there's not a sacred language. There aren't too many sacred sites. There is not a particular career you have to have and, and, and so on, right? So Christianity is able with its message to pivot to any culture, indigenous Australian missions, um, 21st century um, US missions. Um, wonderful. In fact, I, I recently um, interviewed for my podcast um, some scholars of the Vikings and uh, I was in Denmark interviewing a whole bunch of Viking scholars. And one of them, not a Christian, was explaining to me part of how the Christians converted the Vikings. Mm-hmm. 
which is a story hardly anyone knows about. Yeah. The Vikings, they got yeah. converted. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Can I just uh, say that I'm a little jealous about the phrase you just said. While I was in Denmark interviewing historians about the Vikings, Moody Radio, I'm ready to go to Denmark anytime. You so, need to do it. Listeners it love to know that yeah. You're, yeah. you're right there. That's so cool. Um, but one of one of the professors, um, Soren Sinbeck, um, fair, famous non-Christian professor, but professor of archaeology of the Middle Ages. So Vikings is his thing. Vikings. He said uh, that... That stuff about all things to all people in um, Paul, in his Corinthian letter. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was really key from the beginning. Wow. That's how Christians could come into Viking culture. Yeah. The most, because I was talking to him about um, blood sacrifice and how the Vikings actually killed humans. Right. Human sacrifice was a key part yeah. of, right. So I was trying to say, how on earth could, and, and he said, well, the Christians could just come in and they could pivot and they could look like Vikings, but they could bring their message. And mm. I thought, wow, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Mm. It's wonderful. Okay. But our best quality is also our worst quality. Mm -hmm. What sometimes happens is, um, Christians are so keen to fit in with the host culture that they become like the host culture. Mm. And perhaps the most painful example in history is the Crusades because there's a very important um, professor of the Crusades at Oxford University, Christopher Tyerman. And he makes the point that we can see in the two centuries leading up to the First Crusade a clear toying with um, the pagan sacred violence of Northern Europe, where they are actually sharing the gospel in a way that makes Jesus the great knight mm. and the apostles his warband. Mm. We have a poem from the ninth century. That is exactly that, trying to retell the gospel. It's a mission document, mm. but makes Jesus the great all-wielding warrior. And the Sermon on the Mount just means you should be a more just killer. Right? Wow. But the thing is, it worked. And sure. they did make inroads into the Saxon people. And yet the church itself had to embrace the warrior elites mm. of that culture mm. and cozy up to them. And become like them. And Timon has made the point that you can see a trajectory so that by the 11th century, it makes sense to everyone that the Pope would say, come, we're going to fight. We're going to kill pagans, Muslims in this case, and we're going to be rewarded by God for it. Mm -hmm. It made perfect sense. But only after 200 years of Christians so bending to reach Northern European warrior culture that it became ex almost indistinguishable from that culture. Mm. Mm, heartbreaking. And because again, you know, that's my passion is, is, is I teach people contextualization and mission, but I also talk about the dangers of that that come. And we've seen that throughout history. So, so here we find ourselves in, in uh, 2022. And when I teach uh, the future, you know, I often point to where you live. I actually say to people that in, a, in this progression, you know, America is, uh, the United States is, is high 60s, self-identify as Christian. In Canada, it's low 60s. In the UK, it's high 50s. In Australia, it's low 50s. But you're not the way I end. In New Zealand, it's high 40s. Mm -hmm. So you can actually track, you know, mm -hmm. it might be a decade, a decade, a day, who knows? But in a sense, you're from our future. Mm -hmm. So in a secular context, yet you're still seeking to share the gospel. You literally start something, a center for public Christianity. How is it different? Because a lot of places we live, most people have... Uh, Maybe some, maybe a generation or two away, but maybe it's just their childhood they grew up in church or something of that effect. What is it? How is it different to share in a remarkably secular or more starkly secular context like Australia? You simply can't assume they know any of the concepts of mm -hmm. Christianity. 
a very recent survey in December 20, uh, 2021 found that over half Australians think Jesus wasn't even a history, wow. a historical character. Wow. They think he was like the tooth fairy or right. the hobbit or something. Mm. I mean, that's incredible Yeah, because you wouldn't, you wouldn't find 0.1% of ancient historians who, who think Jesus wasn't a historical right. character. And yet somehow it's just entered into our culture mm-hmm. that way. Um, so there's a, there's a profound lack of knowledge. There's also, and it's partly related to this, um, a profound lack of trust mm. in Christians. So I mentioned earlier that, um, it's four in 10 Americans think religion's done more harm than good, but it's six in 10 Australians. Right. Religion in general. Right. Yes. But, yeah. um, it's, you know, they, they are thinking of Christianity. Right. Sure. First. Most would in a place like Australia or US. Agreed. Exactly. Yeah. And so they, they assume the worst mm. and some surveys have found that, um, among the top 10 perceptions of Christians in Australia are things like judgmental, hypocritical. Um, I'm happy to say those same surveys found that, um, people also perceive Christians to be faithful, loving, caring, kind, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And you think, how do those two things hold together? And my theory is in a post-Christian setting or a pre-post-Christian setting like Australia, people have two versions of Christianity in their head. And one or other can be easily activated. They think of Christians as bullies and hypocrites and, you know, so on. And they've got the whole history of Christianity in their head when they're thinking that, or their angry uncle who was a Christian, right? Right. right. But they also have this sense of, you know, if you're down, the Christians will look after you. The Salvation Army is really active in Australia and caring for the poor and so on. And these are contradictory, Mm -hmm. but they're held there simultaneously. Interesting. And if they come across... A Christian who's mean spirited, it activates that whole history. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's what Christians are always like, they'll sure. say. But if they come across a Christian who's, you know, like, you know, a little church, like my little church in the suburbs, that's dropping off meals to people because we've heard they're not members of our church, but we've heard that they're, they're not doing well. We, we'll be there with a the meal ministry that will activate this other whole version of Christianity. Oh, I always knew those, those Christians, you know, if you're down there, they'll be the ones to look after mm. you. A- and so we, we do need, we need to be incredibly careful how we present in public. Not with an air of entitlement, not with anger, not with defensiveness, not wanting to whitewash the past, but with a generosity of spirit, a gentleness and a cheerfulness mm. that Jesus advocated for. How, how, we got about a minute in this segment. How would you encourage somebody? Again, you've written on doubters and skeptics. You actually have a mm. book called A Doubter's Guide to Jesus. How would you encourage someone to start a conversation with somebody who's doesn't have a church or religious background, who's secular. And in a minute or so, we're going to continue on the side, but kind of share, how would you begin that conversation with them? With questions. Yeah. What's been, what's been your experience right. of the church or, you know, um, what's your experience of Christianity? And just let them tell you their experience. Mm-hmm. And it, it might be positive. It might, it might be negative. And my own view is um, from almost anything people raise about the Christian faith, you can get to a story of Jesus mm-hmm. or something Jesus said. Right. And it's, I think it's good to keep the conversation on a story or saying of Jesus because mm-hmm. he's the best thing we've got going. Yeah. And, um, so, so focus on him. It, it might be that they think Christians are hypocrites. I would just go straight to, oh yeah, Jesus ha- had a lot to say against the hypocrites he did. Yeah. and, uh, and see where that goes. Fascinating. Fascinating. And I think that's a key thing. I'm going to share a little research when we come back about a campaign that I'm involved with called He Gets Us that actually did research and say a great connecting point for unbelievers is Jesus. 
which is fascinating, positive perception and more. We're going to continue our conversation with John Dixon in just a moment. We're talking about his book, Bullies and Saints, and more. We'll be continuing our conversation back in a moment. Talk to you then. Thanks. Hey, we're back continuing our conversation with John Dixon. Let me also first thank you for being my guest, John, but let me also thank my team, Karen Hendrens, my producer, Courtney Young, engineer. Nobody on the phones today, but we've got a great phone team as well. Uh, as always, you can find this and all of our episodes at edstetzerlive.com. Okay, just before the break, we were talking about Jesus. And and again, I've been a part of this, and many people probably seen these ads. They're playing all over the country, uh, just in the U.S., but it's called He Gets Us, and it's a media campaign. So it's actually, we've been told it's the largest uh, faith-based media campaign in history, and it's all pointing people to Jesus. And some people say, well, maybe you need to just tell more, but there's a it appears in our culture today, not for everybody, but for a whole lot of people, including skeptics, including people who are maybe nominally Christian or, or, or maybe grew up in a Christian household, overwhelmingly people have a positive view of Jesus. Now, part of the challenge is we all know that people make Jesus in their own likeness. They, Jesus thinks what I think about people, he's just nicer. Um, but it does seem that pointing people to Jesus is both a wonderful biblical truth, but also in our culture today, when the church's reputation may have suffered and Christians' reputation may have suffered, Jesus can still be that conversation place. We can talk about Jesus, and hopefully when they know and receive the good news of the gospel and believe in the real Jesus, it changes everything. Is that is also true in Australia? Is that similarly so? And how might you engage that as someone who wants to engage people in, a, in evangelistic conversations? Definitely. Jesus is still highly regarded. Mm -hmm. um, even though I said, you know, half of Australians don't think he was a real figure. Which is fascinating. It is. It's so depressing. Um, it tells you something about the standards of history in our country. For sure. Apart from any I am not. We are not <laughs> going to talk about educational systems between our two countries. We love everybody here at, okay. at Desert Alive. That's great. <laughs> um, but even those who think he's a you know mythical figure right, still right. think he was a wonderful mythical right, figure. Right, sure, like, sure. You know, cipher for everything that's good. Uh, I, I can never get out of my mind the, um, the statement of Albert Einstein. He said, I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. Mm. Uh, and this is a man who wasn't Albert a believer. Einstein, that's fascinating. Yeah. I never heard that quote before. That's uh, fascinating. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll... You got to send me all your cool quotes that you have. Yeah. But I guess this is and part of... And they're sourced. They are sourced, because you have to be, because you're doing these <laughs> lectures with people who would bring their friends who are unbelievers. And this is part of your yeah. ministry is sharing the good news of the gospel with people who are both skeptics, unbelievers, and more. And where do you find the points of connection? Oh, my happy place yeah. is standing in front of an audience of people who don't believe, mm -hmm. giving them a 20-minute talk and taking 30 minutes of questions. Wow. Honestly, I love it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the perennial questions are still there. So, you know, the question of suffering, the question right. of other religions, the question of science, et cetera, right? So those questions haven't disappeared. Right. But what has come to the fore are all the ethos questions, the ethical, moral questions, right. questions about the goodness of this stuff. Yeah. And, and it manifests in many forms. It's, it can be, what about the Crusades? That's right. a classic, uh, the, the history of the church. Um, but it, it also presents itself in a question like hell, mm -hmm. because people see that as mean. It's unfair. It's right. unfair. Yeah. It's, it's an immoral view. Um, 
LGBT mm-hmm. uh, questions. Yeah. You're, you just you're, had, you had a conversation uh, with about transgenderism yeah. on your show. Uh-huh. And you had Mark Yarhouse, who serves here. He's actually been on the on this program as well. Mm-hmm. People can, We'll link to that in the show notes if you want to listen to the episode with Mark Yarhouse. But you also had on a transgendered woman who part yeah. of the conversation. Absolutely. Okay. She, she features strongly throughout. And it was powerful. Yeah. I wanted listeners to hear how traumatized yeah. it, it is for someone who is born a male mm-hmm. and yet feels like they're a female. Mm-hmm. And although I hold a, you know, a conservative uh, view of the distinction between male yeah. and female, I, I, I think the, the starting point, um, for engaging the world has to be to feel the pain of someone mm-hmm. with genuine gender dysphoria. Mm-hmm. Gender dysphoria. And again, we'll link to the program because Mark explains this in depth and probably takes more than the last few minutes of the program. Mark explains in depth how gender dysphoria works and and, and, yeah. and more. So it's he, just profound he's distress. He's the, the world's leading Christian scholar in the he, space. Yeah. He, he is he yeah. is wonderful. Yeah. Um, but but it's part of that larger question, yeah. the meanness of Christianity right, right. and the meanness of the church. Yeah. And it manifests in all these different kinds mm-hmm. of questions. So I think we need to be able to address them and to address them without anger without anxiety, just with a, a gentle and cheerful spirit. And if people think you're an idiot for holding the Christian view, right, right. just remind yourself that's our specialty going right back to Jesus. Fools for Christ. Yeah. 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 So, okay. So when you go through some of these difficult conversations and you're getting these 30 minutes of questions after, you've mentioned some of the key themes. When you actually see people respond and see people respond, you know, follow Jesus by grace and through faith, be born again, uh, what's the path to get there? I mean, how have you seen that? The Jesus of the Gospels. The Jesus of the Gospels. So tell me me what that looks like. So what I do a lot in Australia is I do these public events, Mm -hmm. and then the the local church that's maybe organized the event will advertise that I'm going to run uh, midweek in the evenings over a glass of wine and cheese, Mm -hmm. a... Uh, four Wednesday nights for skeptics. And we go through Luke's gospel together. And so they get a copy of Luke's gospel. They read Luke's gospel over four Wednesday nights, or they take it away and they read it in their own time. And we just puzzle through this man. Right. And people are um, surprised and delighted to actually meet the man. They have this, you know, this image of Jesus. Right, right. And then they meet the man. And he is simultaneously humbler and scarier than Mm. they thought. Mm. And that's wonderful because it just messes with people's heads. But ultimately they find someone whose teaching is clearly the most sublime teaching ever and yet makes them feel bad because mm-hmm. none of us is like that. Right, sure. And, and then they see him befriending sinners, mm. welcoming sinners to his table, especially in Luke's gospel. Yeah. And that just sets us up for the end of Luke's gospel in, in sessions two and th- uh, three and four, the death and resurrection mm-hmm. where... You see simultaneously the humility of Jesus in giving himself for others for our forgiveness and the glory of Jesus in being raised to life. And people in the end, they, they end up having trust in the person they can almost visualize from the gospels, not a concept of Lord and sure, Savior, sure. but an actual person whose conversations they've read, right. whose teachings they know, whose expectations they know, whose, whose bloody death they've read Mm. and they begin their Christian journey on the very safe footing of a connection with the person, Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. in the gospel. And that's what we believe. We believe that 
that Jesus uh, calls us to himself and we receive and he, we're born again, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We, we actually believe this is a, an encounter still today with the risen Christ. Amen. So, so not a series of propositions mm. or teachings, but an encounter with the risen Christ. So here we are, 2022. It's uh, the reputation of the church. It's not doing so great. Um, I don't know if it's the same in Australia, but it's not doing so great here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, and you know, COVID has uh, distanced people, I think, from one another. We've seen uh, churches uh, across the United States, attendance is down. And most of the people who aren't attending are people who kind of were irregular attenders in the first place. So the people we maybe were considering the gospel have now disconnected from it. Should we be discouraged about the moment for evangelism? Encouraged? Is it both? Got about a couple minutes left. Help us to think about this moment. Well, this is more your expertise, brother. I can tell you about the third century pandemic tell across me. Mediterranean me. and how the Christians fared. I mean, they 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 stepped up. Um, we, the documentation we have of the third century, so it's right in the right in the middle of the third century, two fifty, went on for a ten years pandemic. Um, you know, God willing, unlike ours, yeah. which is please Lord over. Um, uh, and, and they, they leaned into it and gained a massive reputation for being a place of profound care, um, medical care, um, kindness. They buried people, mm -hmm. whereas pagans, would, even their loved ones would die and they wouldn't go near them. They knew there was something toxic about it and Christians would bury them. They gained this incredible reputation. So I actually think in the third century, uh, pandemic um, it propelled Christianity mm. to the fore. It was a moment of great public Christianity for them where people thought, oh, they're the ones who just pick up the muck. Now, I don't know if we're going to come out of the pandemic with the same reputation, brother. Yeah. Um, but the opportunity is is still there for us to be leaders of helping lonely people, mm. shut-in people, mm. hungry people, sick people, people who just need a shoulder to cry on. If we're there um, in public, but also you know, in the one-to-one, -one, you know, I always feel that the local church is the best apologetic for the, for the gospel. It, it isn't what you do. It isn't what I do. It's the local church being what you'd expect a local church to be in its local community, showing the love of Christ that they also proclaim. That's when great things happen. That's how it happened in history. And I believe it's how it's going to continue. To As an historian, I will quote Eusebius to you. I wrote this in USA Today at the beginning of the pandemic that Quoting Eusebius, who was writing, it's a church historian, writing about how Christians responded in the past. He said the Christians, quote, deeds were on everyone's lips and they glorified the God of the Christians, unquote, unquote. And I think churches have stood up, stood out and stood in the gap in the midst of challenging times. And I think many of our listeners have as well. So don't be discouraged. Don't be dissuaded from showing and sharing the love of Jesus in these tumultuous and turbulent times. John Dixon's been doing it in Australia, which might be 10, 20 plus years ahead of us in secularism and seeing response. Let me encourage you as well. Let me also encourage you to pick up John's book, Bullies and Saints. Uh, and again, it's an honest look at the good and evil of Christian history. Also, we linked it. EdStetzerLive.com is a link to his podcast on deceptions. Ed Stetzer Live is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.